7.30 p.m., a body was recovered from the Red River near the Alexander Docks. For six serial killers to be operating in that town. An Amber Alert is still in effect in parts of Canada for a two-year-old girl An Ontario woman says her father committed brutal murders and buried the body. Millions of dollars worth of maple syrup has been siphoned off from storage in Quebec. With the crime covered up. had planned for a year to steal it and kill its owner. You ever been interviewed by the police in a, in a room like this before? And I'm Shelly, and welcome to True North Crime. Yep. <laughs> You're gonna say the podcast where we talk about well, the podcast where we talk about crime and law in Canada. There you go. <laughs> Whatever. I thought you were like we're down with this. No, yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't have this stuff down. Are you kidding me? What? This is episode number eight. Something like that. Yeah. I don't even know. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. You've picked out something that was not as fun as last the last episode we did, which was the Flying Bandit. Yes. And well, this, they can't all be fun. Yes. Well, that is true. Crime is not fun. Is that our theme? Well, not all crime is fun. How about that? Okay, we'll put we'll put it that way. <laughs> um, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I got a gym membership. Oh, nice. After procrastinating on that, can I go work on your guns for a while? That's right. That's lethal. <laughs> That it should be illegal. There you go. <laughs> Got a permit for that? <laughs> Concealed carry, baby. <laughs> She's flexing, just so you yeah. know. <laughs> um, and I, so I, I went to yoga today. And I I used to be really into yoga for a while there. I was quite good at it. And, like, even considered becoming, like, a yoga instructor. And then that just didn't happen. So getting back into it, it's like, first of all, it's hard because I'm really out of shape. Mm-hmm. But also, it's it's weird because I know that it's going to get easier and I'm going to get better at it. But it's at the same time, it's like my body remembers these movements. But, but you I can't just, do it to I the can't extent freaking do it. you used to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand that. So that's where I'm at. All right. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Jim. How about you? I'm tired. You're always tired. I know. Every time. Every- you're tired or you're busy or you're busy and you're tired. Because like, I just like just, to, you know what, you know, when you no bitch. Variation. When you bitch to your friend, it's never like bitching to an unknown listener. <laughs> so I'm just going to use you as my bitch fest. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's like I have, well, you know, I'm doing renos on yeah. my mom's place. Yeah. So it is tiring because like my mom has dementia so sometimes like she doesn't really get sometimes what's going on yeah and that's tiring because it's like you're managing not a five-year-old but like a 70 something year old and yeah it can be it can be a little yeah a little daunting at times so you know i love my mom and i want to help her out but at the same time sometimes she she's a you know her she's a clutter person yes she is loves her stuff and I don't, I don't like that. And so we clash sometimes and she emotionally is attached to, like emotionally is attached yeah. to objects. And it's a matter of like, she can't keep everything. Right. But she really fucking tries. <laughs> so, so it's a matter of like, I don't want her to be on the show hoarders. Well, is this, this is going to sound terrible, but is it possible to get rid of stuff and she won't know? Oh no, she totally wouldn't. But I try to do it with her permission. Like I don't, I don't like to take to, advantage of no to like, like sneak that? to sneak yeah. things by like that. Like so, everything that we've 
been getting rid of or paring down, as I like to say, because she thinks of the trash element as being like a little too harsh. Okay. But for instance, we had an argument about a piece of furniture the other day. And she's like, I don't want to get rid of it. And I'm like, I understand you're emotionally attached to this, but why are you emotional? Like, I want to know why you're emotionally attached to this piece of furniture because I have never seen this piece of furniture right. in my life. Let alone the fact that it's just there and it's not finished. She tried to refinish it about 20 years ago. Right. And, and she just and I'm like, did this piece of furniture <laughs> save you from the Titanic? Like Rose and right. Jack on like that piece of First wood? First of all, that there was room for both of them. I know. On, on that thing. Board. But I'm just saying, like, for her to be so emotionally attached to this piece of furniture. So like it's it is tiring when you're trying to look out for the best for someone, but they really like and it's like her her concept of how to take care of herself and my concept of how to take care of her is also very right. I think sometimes at a at a wit's end. So I mean, I guess for our listener out there, if you're ever dealing with someone who's at the these stages, early like, stages of dementia. dementia, it's like it can be very difficult at times because they really do want to help out and they really still are very attached to everything, everything. Right. Um, but at the same time, like you don't have room. <laughs> no, there's no room for it. It's just no. a practical. I know. She's like a level one hoarder. There's no like dead cats in there or anything, but like <laughs> she's, God. She's, she's got a ton of stuff. All right. Yeah, so that, that that is an ongoing, and that's probably why I'm tired. Okay. But otherwise, I'm quite well. I got my Good. shot for uh, the HPV today. Gardasil. Gardasil, yep. which is the HPV shot, so I have more vaccinations. So Good. I'm not going to die vaccinated, folks. with the impending <laughs> plague that's going to come, hopefully. It's not a plague. Nibiru is going to collide with oh, the, the Earth. Oh, the planet. Yeah, you yeah. were telling me this today. <laughs> yes, yeah, on April 23rd. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So we've got it's the 18th a little today bit over four more days. Recording. Like what time? What? I'm not sure. I I don't I don't know. Huh? Just at some point on the 23rd of April. So as a global um, extinction event happens, how is Canadian crime then going to? Well, I guess that? it'll be the end of Canadian crime. You know if we what? Have a global wait, wait, wait! <laughs> I have a good segue for this. All right. Maybe we're going to end up in uh, a Mad Max kind of world oh. with lots of gangs. Yeah. That I could see that happening. Yeah, and yeah. with gangs, that's kind of what we're covering today. A little bit, yeah. yeah today, thank, thank you. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Well done, you. Yeah. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about, <coughs> learn about the Quebec Biker War, or as it's called in French, La Guerre des Motards. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Motard? Motard. Oh, yeah. Motorcycle. Motorcycle. Yeah. 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 Huh. Guerre is war. Yeah, so. I go, well, I got <laughs> okay. that. Okay, well, we should explain it for our non-French speaking right. people. Guerre is, is definitely is war. war. Yeah, okay, yeah. so the Quebec Biker War. I know, honestly. Do, do you, you know anything about this? Do you remember this? I remember... Um, this happened in the 90s. This ha- Well, it happened... 80... We'll get or, there. All right. So it actually takes place over quite a number of years. So the, the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Lennoxville Massacre, which happened in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shortly after that, the Biker War began. What's actually the second Biker War in Quebec. There was one in the 70s, which I'm not going to talk about. Okay. Um, but what I really remember more than anything else is the Shedden Massacre, which happened in 2006. I remember that one, yeah. Yeah. But I remember in the 90s there was – a lot of news about this. There was, yes. So, and I remember being like in my tweens to teens, mm-hmm. that's hearing not, about it on the hearing news. Hearing about it, yeah. and then because my my parents were avid newsies, 
Yeah. So like this is something they would so talk about and they okay. would talk about. And also because my family is also involved in politics. Yeah. Or was. Not anymore. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they would discuss these things because one of them was in parliament. Right. So this so was yeah. this was a so hot topic at the table. Yeah. And I remember hearing about it, but I don't really know. Anything about it. Well, I didn't really know what it entailed and the nuances of it. Okay. I don't know how deep I'll get into the nuances. It's a really big topic, and it's it's easy to kind of just get lost down that rabbit hole. And so I've done my de- best to kind of, I guess, to give you more of the broad strokes. All right. Well, I'll ask questions okay. along the way. You All can right. tell me and if you I'll can answer them. And answer them or not. And if I don't know the answer, I'll make it up, and you won't know. So... Yeah, thanks. That really lends legitimacy know, to right? what we're doing, right? I'm just going to make up some laws and shit, yes, too, when we get to fine. that portion. That'll be great. Yeah. God. All right. I should get a bottle of wine for this. You should. Too bad you finished the one that... I know, right? Okay. So the Hells Angels have been looking to make inroads into Canada throughout the 1970s, and maybe even earlier, um, but they finally made entry into Canada into 1977. Um, and that's when the Popeyes, a Montreal-based motorcycle gang, patched over to the Hells Angels. Patched over means joined. Converted, yeah. Yeah, converted, mm-hmm. joined, whatever. It's like a church. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, so that happened in December of 1997. Earlier that 77. year. Sorry, 1977. <laughs> thank you. No problem. <laughs> Earlier that year, in July, the Outlaws, another U.S. motorcycle club, had moved into Canada Patching over four chapters of Satan's Choice. I remember this in Ontario and Quebec. Well, not like you were not alive no, no, no. in. But I remember. I remember the names. Like I remember the names, the names of, these of these clubs. Biker clubs. No, okay. I, I was. I was alive in. Yeah, not then. not 1977. No, my sister was. Okay, so this patching over was an important move for the Hell's Angels, um, because they were enemy with enemies with the outlaws. Uh, so for the Hells Angels to gain a footing in Quebec was a big deal because the outlaws now had more of a footing in Ontario, a little less so in Quebec. And then there's what's, I guess, kind of referred to as the first biker war between the outlaws and And the the Hells Angels. Angels. And even before then, I think the Popeyes as well. Okay. And Um, that was in Canada? And that's, that's in Canada. Okay. Yeah. Um, and all of it, this is all based in Quebec. Why, why Quebec? I really don't know for sure i think maybe i mean a, there are a lot of motorcycle gangs in quebec probably because the, there, there's a lot of corruption in the province yeah this is actually for our listeners who might not be up on on the quebecois um thing thing i guess <laughs> corruption this has been a big thing this is an um, ongoing issue and, it, and it's an ongoing issue like Quebec. if you look at the history of montreal it has an italian mobster connection that went up to the mayor who was i think like who was charged wasn't he um certainly ruined his career yeah definitely yeah. so like the mayor and and montreal has a really big history of corruption but the whole province for some reason has this legacy of, of corruption. Of, yeah, it's sort being of endemic out, to yeah, the province of Quebec. But being outside the law. But no, 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 I don't even know if it's just endemic. It's just more um, visible. Like, so, I mean, obviously, for some of the charges with the Italian ma- mafia and so on and so forth, that took very long to come out because that came out only, you know, a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Like, it, everybody knew it, but it was not 
it was not being charged, right? So with the biker gangs, though, this was something that everybody knew that they were in Quebec, yeah. and they were also in other provinces. To be fair, yeah, you well, can't just I pin said, it on. No, 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 I can't just pin it on Quebec. And as I said, the the outlaws had moved into Ontario and Quebec, but I guess they're just more active, right, in Quebec for right. whatever reason. And I I I don't know all of the reasons, but lot rampant. Um, corruption throughout the province of Quebec. So I guess it just made it easier for the biker gangs to go about their business. Yeah. Well, that's assumed. We can't yeah. really prove yeah. that. But no, that's, no. I just, that's, right. that's the assumption. That's what we're assuming. Yeah. Anyway, okay. so go on with the facts instead of our presuppositions. <laughs> Let's speculate some more. Yeah, well. Okay. So the Popeyes were into drugs. Um, they had access to the Port of Montreal. Spinach. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Come on, yes. And everybody knows from those old cartoons that he was on fucking something. <laughs> that made him so strong. PCP, it makes you strong <laughs> exactly. and you don't feel any pain. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Done. Sorry. I, a duster. I totally had okay. to <laughs> throw that in there. Okay. Popeyes, into drugs, had access to the Port of Montreal, and they were affiliated with two big crime organizations in the city. The Irish West End Gang and the Italian Mafia. Wow. Yeah. Branching all over Europe. Yeah, and so when the Hells Angels absorbed the Popeyes, they had access to all this stuff. I've never even heard of the Irish West End Gang. West End Gang. I know, me neither. Not before I'd read this. Huh. Interesting. Go on. Okay, into the 1980s, the Hells Angels established themselves in the drug trade throughout Quebec, but the bulk of the drug trade was run by the mob and the West End Gang right. in Montreal, in and around Montreal. Okay, because of their violent and raucous behavior, the Hells Angels didn't have the best reputation in the Quebec underworld. <laughs> I think that's amazing that there's like a, there's even, you know, your tears for, I mean, it makes yeah, sense, totally. but there's tears within tears, right? Well, they, yeah, they had an image problem, yeah. perceived as little more than a street gang, and they wanted to be taken more seriously by their business associates. Mm-hmm. So most of their members were falling into line with their new business philosophy, but there were still some guys who were partying too much, doing coke instead of selling it, that kind of stuff. Right. So the Hells Angels leadership needed to send a message to their members. On 24 March 1985, four members of the Laval chapter were invited to a club meeting in Lennoxville, which is in the Eastern Township, Mm -hmm. so outside of Montreal. Yep. Um, also in attendance were 41 Hells Angels from Montreal, Sherbrooke, and Halifax. Wow. Halifax. Hall- yeah, they came all the way from Halifax right. for this thing. And for you people who don't know Canadian geography, Halifax is not in Quebec. No. <laughs> it's a whole other province. Um, okay, so when these four invitees arrived at the Lennoxville Clubhouse, they were beaten and then shot their bodies were wrapped in sleeping bags and dumped in the St. Lawrence River, weighed down by cinder blocks. Wow. Yes. And it's this house cleaning that came to be known as the Lennoxville Purge. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there were actually two more people on the hit list in addition to the four. Um, uh, but these the two didn't show up for the meeting. And then this guy, he was a Hells Angels prospect named Claude Roy. A prospect is like a biker in training. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know. I know okay. what that means. Yeah. Um, well, he, good to explain yeah. to our listener. So he was beaten to death two weeks after the purge, and oh. his body was dumped like the others in the St. Lawrence. Meanwhile, a guy named Eve Trudeau, he missed the meeting because he checked himself into rehab. 
Wow. Before the meeting took Way place. Way to clean yourself up. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Lucky. Yeah. Seriously. Um, so after this whole purge thing happened, he turned his back on the Hells Angels and he helped the police with their investigation. Huh. Turns out, though, this guy is like a hitman. Really? Yeah. And I guess as like part of helping the police or maybe independently of this deal. business, confessed to something like 41 or 43 murders. And got away with it. Immunity or? I, no, I don't, probably not, but. Oh, I have no idea. Because the thing is, he would be, I would think that he'd be murdered in jail for being disloyal. Who, and I don't know. Anyway, but But like, this is just my act of imagination running away with it. So, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, go on. But yeah, so a little side note there. Eve Trudeau, hmm. like, really prolific hitman. Wow. Yeah. Uh, at the time of the purge, the Hells Angels were thinking of patching over the SS, a, not surprisingly, white supremacist motorcycle gang. Oh, that. Yeah, in Montreal. The SS were led by Maurice Boucher, remember that name, mm -hmm. and Salvatore Cazetta. Cazetta had a real problem with what went down in Lennoxville, thinking it was a gross breach of the outlaw code. Mm -hmm. These guys would kill their own men. Uh, so he refused to join the Hells Angels. Boucher, on the other hand, he had no problem with how the Hells Angels did their business, and he patched right over. He rose quickly through the ranks and was eventually named president of the Montreal chapter. Wow. His nickname is Mom. Maurice Mom Boucher. Why, why am I thinking that's an awesome biker name, though? <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's go see Mom. mom. It reminds go me see of... Mom. Well, I guess you're in charge, it, right? But it also so... reminds me of Futurama. <laughs> mom yeah yeah well she's a criminal yeah exactly yeah. it kind of reminds me of, like tough as nails bitch yeah like, yeah like someone you don't want to piss off because you're afraid of like the wrath of mom right like yeah, when you're so a there kid you go. right so it makes sense yeah okay so um Cazetta, for his part he formed a new gang with his brother in 1986 mm -hmm. and they called it rock machine I remember that name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So Rock Machine was officially designated an outlaw motorcycle gang in 1989. That's like a police thing. Yeah. For legally. Well, because they're they're engaged in criminal activity. They're like yeah, a criminal yeah. organization. But you have to have like a legal definition of what a gang is. Um, well, no, it's it's not a gang. It's the outlaw motorcycle gang. It's the outlaw part. Right. Okay. Not the gang thing. Right. Uh, Rock Machine controlled sale and distribution of the Hells Angels drug market in parts of Montreal. Hmm. So uh, the Hells Angels and the Rock Machine coexisted, I guess, as peacefully as possible uh, until 1994. Uh, and although there was an escalation of violence throughout the 1990s, that year in 94, Cazetta was arrested for conspiracy to import 11 tons of cocaine from the U.S. Tons. 11 tons. That's a lot That's of cocaine. a lot of cocaine. A lot of China. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. So he was sent to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and with the leader of the rock machine now in jail, this Hells Angel saw an opportunity to expand their drug distribution network. So basically, seize yeah. control of rock machine territory. As you do. It's a business venture, and you think yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, a, a highly illegal, very detrimental one. But, but still, still, it's yeah. a business. Okay. So the, um, around <clears throat> the same time, the Hells Angels struck up a business deal with the Rockers Motorcycle Club. Mm -hmm. um, and the Rockers took over the rock machine's drug network. Right. 
So the what names can the get ma- a what, little confusing. What happened to the rock machine at that point then? Well, they're still hanging around. Did they just get absorbed by no, them? No, no. Rock machine's still hanging around. They just, but they just kind of took a step back. Their leader's in jail. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so the shot which pretty much started the biker war mm-hmm. between the Hells Angels and Rock Machine is believed to have occurred on 19 October 1994. It's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday Thank to you. you. Yeah. Probably giving away way too much information about myself online. Yeah. Okay. It's not my birthday. No, not at all. Okay. (laughs) On that day, a drug drug dealer named Lavoie was gunned down in his car. His girlfriend was with him, but she survived and was able to identify the gunman. Mm -hmm. Lavoie had, up until recently, been buying his drugs from the Pelletier clan, who were associated with Rock Machine. Fuck, there's so many. So many names. (laughs) Okay. When Lavoie started buying from the Hells Angels... The Pelletier clan hired someone to kill him. Are you going to put up a chart? I will have a... T- I will... Yes. I'm so in the process. So truenorthcrime.ca eventually will have a chart of all the shit. Yes. To help okay. make sense because yeah. I, I know that it's... Rachel is extremely good with her, with her information. Confusing. So she can put it into a map and or some type of um, graphic that will help us. No maps for this one. I have... I'll have an infographic and then basically a dramatis personae like you oh, get yeah, okay. in front at the front of a Shakespeare play awesome I'm, yep. I'm there okay go on just yeah to keep all this straight because it gets it does it does get a little confusing um okay so this guy Lavoie is shot and killed by a hired gun in the Pelletier clan nine days after Lavoie's murder the Hells Angels Kill the leader of the Pelletier clan. As you would. Yeah. Um, they said the same thing would happen to any dealer who wouldn't buy from them. Hmm. So since both the Rock Machine and Pelletier clan had a beef with the Hells Angels, they formed the Alliance to Fight the Hells Angels. Alliance members wore a ring with a capital A on it, and the group was made up of independent drug dealers, other biker gangs, and an enigmatic group called the Dark Circle. That sounds really creepy. The Dark Circle was a secret group of respectable Montreal businessmen who were engaged on the drug in the drug trade on the sly. That's fucking crazy. Right? Wow. That's nuts. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So I, this could make a great movie. <laughs> I know. This would make an amazing movie. The Alliance's first order Especially of the name the business. Dark Circle. I'm like giving out signet rings and shit. Like, amazing. I'm sorry, but like as much as this is terrible, you kind of want to be part of that club, I know, right? I like, kind of want to see this movie now. I know. Okay, so the Alliance's first order of business. What did the ring look like? It just had a big A on it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. A, well, that's a little boring. We it's could still, we could jazz it up a little did. bit for Hollywood. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Of course. Maybe some jewels. <laughs> like a Super Bowl ring. Yes. <laughs> yes. Really gaudy. Yeah. Sorry. But that might make you a target because people see this ridiculous <laughs> ring on your finger. Anyway. We are totally making too much light of a very serious <laughs> I know. Topic. It just gets worse and worse. Okay. The Alliance's first order of business was to kill Mom Boucher, mm-hmm. um, who's now president of the Montreal Hells Angels. They either purchased or stole large amounts of dynamite, crammed it all inside of a truck, and parked the truck outside of Boucher's favorite restaurant. How do they not know if they purchased or stole it? I don't know if they purchased or stole it. Oh, okay. They know where they, they got know, the okay. dynamite from. No, but I mean, me. like, I just thinking, like, in the facts department, the research department, it just wasn't, like, it just was presented as a fact that they 
got this dynamite. They got, well, because like someone says, because they did, a lot of dynamite was stolen around this time from construction sites. Oh, that's not creepy at all. Um, because but the then also a- Italian and Irishmen aren't involved with gangs not at, at all. At this point. Right. So dynamite is being stolen. Can I just air quote stolen on that one? <laughs> in Quebec. <laughs> right. But also dynamite is being purchased. Interesting. So that's why I don't know right. if this was purchased or stolen dynamite yeah. that they crammed inside of this truck, parked the truck outside of Boucher's favorite restaurant. And when Boucher showed up, they would detonate the truck by remote control. Not a bad plan. <laughs> but the truck was parked illegally. And when a parking enforcement officer saw it, he had the truck towed. Oh, man. <laughs> That is bad luck. Yes. So the truck just blew up somewhere else? No, I guess he, it was towed away, and then probably somebody looked inside. The police looked inside or whatever. The truck never exploded. Yeah, okay. It just got towed away, foiling That's the assassination plot. That's amazing and terrible at the same time. I know. <laughs> okay. Bombs were the weapons of choice throughout the war. Mm-hmm. Targets included clubhouses, places of business, residences, vehicles, hangouts, and people. Well, this explains my research a lot. Between 1994 and 1995, 13 tons of dynamite was stolen in Quebec in four major thefts. 13 tons? Yeah. How much? That's a lot of dynamite. How much would that, like, what's the, like, what's the I don't, actual I, scientific, like, amount like, that that could, like, the equivalent to an atom bomb? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, they're like, 8 million tons of dynamite. Like, 13 tons is still a lot. But yeah, I don't know. But here, hold um. Some of this dynamite showed up in the biker war bombs, um, and the bombs themselves were getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. One of, if not the largest bomb, was a 90-kilogram dynamite bomb found in a residential area near a warehouse where a rock machine uh, used as a meeting place. Wow. 90 kilos. That's a big bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Someone needed to die at that point, I guess. Well, people were dying all over the place. They were getting blown up left and right. Blown up? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The war was thrust into the national spotlight on 9 August 1995 when a car bomb fatally injured 11-year-old Daniel Derache. Up to this point, and even before the war started, the police hadn't really done much to quell the violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we mentioned, it was well known that the Service de Police de la Ville de Montréal, which is the Montreal Police, they were corrupt and had been taking bribes from bikers. Of course. Of course. Okay, so Daniel's death and the public outrage that followed resulted in the formation of Operation Carcajou, which means Wolverine right. in French. I didn't know that. Um, Carcajou formed in October 1995, so a few months after Daniel uh, died. Carcajou was a formal cooperative effort between the Montreal police the Sûreté de Québec, which is the Quebec Provincial Police, and the RCMP. Carcajou raided the Hells Angels and Rock Machine many times, seizing weapons, drugs, and closing clubhouses. They arrested nearly all of the Devil's Disciples, who were members of the Alliance, and published their successes in the newspaper as a way to show their dedication to ending the biker war. Wow. Okay, but... Despite Kekaju's outward appearance of competency, the joint task force was fraught with problems. The federal and provincial cops didn't like each other, and detectives spent a lot of time feuding with one another. This is so stereotypical. Yeah. In 1999, a commission report on the Sûreté de Québec called Kekaju an enormous waste of money. The Montreal police were only interested in gaining more power 
while the Quebec police and the RCMP were focused on blaming each other for failing to end the biker war. Nice. Yeah. Great. So nothing got done. Well, as if the infighting among the cops wasn't enough, it eventually came to light that Detective Benoit Roberge of the Montreal police was actually working for the Hells Angels. Nice. Like, not just taking bribes. But working for them. Fucking working for them. He's like the double agent. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. So both Hells Angels and Rock Machine knew their war was bad for business, especially now that the police were actively working to stop them. Um, a second highly visible bombing took place in 1996 when a bomb destroyed a house where children lived. The kids weren't home, luckily, um, but it was a close enough call that the Hells Angels decided to <laughs> dial it back a little bit with the bombs. They didn't want any more kids to get hurt, and so all future bombings had to be approved by senior bikers. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 Making an effort. Yeah, that's, that's organizational structure right there. That's fine. So even if there was a de-escalation in bombings, the gangs kept up with the shootings. On 26 June 1997, a prison guard named Diane Levine was gunned down by Hells Angels in Montreal. Um, I believe Boucher was in prison at this time, and she was one of the prison guards. Oh, so there was like a thing. There's a thing. Right. Yes. On 23 August 1998... Paolo Cotroni, a rival of the Sicilian Mafia. Can I read that name? Cotroni. I don't know where you are. Right here. Cotroni. Cotroni. Paolo Cotroni. There you go. go. (laughs) Uh, He was a rival of the Sicilian Mafia and friend of Boucher. He was shot by Rock Machine. In September that same year, bullets sprayed the house of Johnny Plesso. Plesio? a founding member of Rock Machine. Mm -hmm. In October, a member of the Dark Circle was shot in the head in front of his son. Who was he, though? Why is everybody else named and he's not? Um, Because I didn't write his name down. Okay. (laughs) That's why. Okay. Wow, shot in front of his son. Yeah. that's intense. Yeah, like he pulled into his driveway, um, got out of his car, and was going to open the back door. For his kid. For his kid, and got shot in the head. Hmm. Yep. So... I mean, it's awful. Wow. Um, no, well, the whole thing is awful, but like no psychology issues there for the kid. Yeah, nope, right. None. Okay. So here, this is terrible. On 26 August, oh, it's all terrible. It's all terrible. It just gets worse and worse, as I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, on 26 August, 1999, Serge Hervier was shot and killed in the rental car-, car agency where he worked. The gunmen were members of the Rockers Motorcycle Club. The Hells Angels Puppet Club, as I had mentioned. Mm-hmm. The two rockers were looking for Serge Bruno. And when they entered the agency, they simply asked for Serge. And he was like, And it's Serge every year was like, Aww. I'm Serge. And he got shot four times. Aww. Yeah. That's I know. It's off like just I mean Get the right Serge. <laughs> but even so, so it's, it's like just walking into like a group of a hundred people and asking for Dave. Dave, exactly. <laughs> so it's just I mean, Looking for Chris, Dave, and John. <laughs> Bad enough that there's all this violence going on, but like innocent people. Yeah. Or being caught in the crossfire. Are caught in the crossfire. Which is also going to stem public outrage and hence Absolutely. the legislative laws, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all these shootings are really par for the course um, because before the war began, Quebec was known as a dangerous and violent place. The bikers in Quebec were much more violent than their American brethren. And... Um, Quebec had, in fact, been declared a red zone 
Meaning some bikers just flat out refuse to go there. Wow. Like within the biker world. world yeah, yeah. Because Quebec it's is just, a red gonna, zone because yeah. it's so violent. Huh. Yeah. Um, and by the time the war was over, more than 80 bombs had been planted around the province and 162 people had been killed. Fuck, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. Um, there was a reprieve to the violence in 2000 when Vito Rizzuto, the head of the Rizzuto crime family in Montreal, invited the heads of the Hells Angels and the Rock Machine to dinner. After breaking bread together, this was on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. they headed to <laughs> Club Super Sex. Oh, I've been to, have, have you been to Super Sex? I have never been inside. I have. But like, of course I know what Club Super Sex <laughs> I went is. to Super Sex when I was 18 because the drinking age in Ontario is 19. Yeah. The drinking age in Quebec is 18. 18. And I went like a whole bunch of my guy friends and they're like, let's go to Club Super Sex. Of it's course. so famous. Yes. Yeah. And what year was that? Like 96? Uh, this was 2000. Oh my God. I was there in like 98. <laughs> I could have been there with a whole bunch of bikers. Shit. I had no idea. You wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Oh my god, I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, that's hilarious. Anyway, so, so that's your on. club super sex story. Yep. Okay, this so is how I personally relate to the current story because <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? It's all about me. How it relates back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> uh, their truce wasn't to last. Uh, it ended when the rock machine patched over to the Bandidos Motorcycle Club. In December of 2000. I remember that name as well. Yeah. Okay, so the Banditos are based in Texas, and the patching over was an attempt to internationalize the biker war. But the Americans wanted nothing to do with the Canadians and didn't want to get dragged into a fight with the Hells Angels. Rock Machine was instead sponsored by the Swedish and French Banditos, who were impressed with their violence. Wow. Yeah. Um, Rock Machine um, wasn't, they weren't the only ones looking to bolster their numbers and gain some ground. Earlier that year, in the summer of 2000, the Hells Angels made an offer to Ontario bikers. They could join the Hells Angels as full patch members if and only if they joined by the end of the year. Hmm. So normally, I guess when you're going to join the biker club, the Hells Angels or any other, yeah, you are, you're kind of like have a you go through stages. Well, you go through these stages. So first, you're like a hang around. Okay. And then you're a prospect. Oh, so you're like an apprentice. You and then you like get the patched. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you have to perform tasks yeah. to rise up through the ranks, and they're all really terrible. Um, so they made this offer to Ontario bikers. Um. They still didn't have a big presence uh, in Ontario, and their if their offer was accepted, it would make them the dominant club in Ontario. Mm-hmm. On December 29, most of the Ontario biker gangs joined the Hells Angels. This is in 2000. This is in 2000, yes. Mm-hmm. Said a cop about the mass patching over. Quote, the Hells Angels were truly scraping the bottom of the barrel. Wow. They were trading patch for patch in the legendary Hells Angels. They were trading, sorry, patch for patch, the legendary Hells Angels patch for some of the lowest of the low, end quote. Wow. So, so they just needed bodies. They Yeah, they mm. did. Okay, so that was in 2000, at the end of 2000. In 2001, Operation Springtime arrested 139 people in Quebec and 51 people in Calgary who are either Hells Angels or were associated with the Hell- Hells Angels. I'd just like to point out that that's a fairly large geographical gap. Yeah. 
Quebec and then Calgary. Yeah, that's like a two, that's like a 48 hour drive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It takes me from where I live 36 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've done that. I've done that drive a couple times. But I guess the Hells Angels had a presence in Calgary. Wow. Yeah. Um, so okay, so that was Operation Springtime, made all of these arrests. Then on 5 June 2002, most, if not all, of the banditos in Quebec and Ontario were arrested in raids conducted by Project Amigo. And the war between the Hells Angels and the Rock Machine came to an end. Hmm with these mass arrests right okay so there's a little bit left to go here all right it's pretty safe to say the rock machine lost the war Uh, but even though the quebec banditos were decimated by project amigo they still had a presence in ontario okay a year before project amigo in 2001 members of the loners motorcycle club joined the banditos okay a little bit of history um, you remember when I said the Hells Angels invited Ontario bikers? Yeah. Right? Okay. The Scraping lo- the bottom of the Scraping barrel. Scraping the bottom of the yeah. barrel. The loners were among the invitees, except for the Chatham loners. I guess it's because they sucked. <laughs> That's the note I wrote here. Wow. <laughs> um, I wouldn't get the ire of any, any <laughs> bikers. Yeah, but Chatham if they're a crappy listen, I don't, I don't. chapter of anyway, I'm so not, I'm not. In, I'm I gave away my birthday already. For I'm whatever not, reason, the the Chatham chapter of the Loners Motorcycle Club was not invited to join the Banditos. Right. Um. So, unable to operate on their, or so they weren't invited to join the Hell's Angels. Unable to operate on their own, the Chatham Loners joined the Banditos. And because Project Amigo was initially conceived to target Rock Machine, former loners who'd patched over to the Banditos weren't rounded up with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Get it? Makes sense? Yeah. Okay. A grand total of 15 dudes were left scattered around Ontario and Quebec. They consolidated and formed a single chapter based in Toronto. So these are the Toronto Banditos now. Gotcha. <laughs> One of these spikers was named Wayne wiener oh, calistine bad name i know terrible although i wouldn't want to meet this dude <laughs> no you wouldn't the guy was fucking crazy <laughs> wiener became president of the toronto banditos but then wound up in prison on gun and drug charges in 2004 wiener was released from prison and a banditos chapter opened up in winnipeg around the same time Wiener was named Sergeant at Arms for the Canadian Banditos, which is sort of like um, it's you're a, you're a step down right. from, from the president, president and sort right. of your answer to the president um, or any other club president. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Sergeant at Arms for the Canadian Banditos, but that's not good enough for him. He was pissed off because a guy he used to mentor was now in charge of the Winnipeg chapter and Wiener had to answer the him. Gotcha. Okay, so he's got a chip on his shoulder. Wiener felt like he'd been snubbed, and he probably was, um, because nobody liked him very much. Yeah, well, that's yeah. why his name is Wiener. Wiener. He was unstable and annoying, kind of dumb, and strung out on meth. Nursing a grudge, Wiener deemed or dreamed he could seize control of the banditos by eliminating the Toronto members and pinning the murders on the Hells Angels. Huh. 
Uh, Wiener invited eight Toronto Benfitas. You know, for a guy that's like supposed to be really dumb, that's not the worst plan. Not the worst plan, but... Hold, hold your horses. All right. Okay. Wiener invited eight Toronto banditos to his farm on April 7, 2006. Mm-hmm. He led them to his barn where one of his cronies, a former cop, was up in the rafters with a rifle. One of the Toronto guys saw the sniper and fired at him. Then two more Toronto banditos made for the barn door, but they were shot uh, non-fatally. And then all eight men were held for a few hours while Wiener ranted at them. He then marched them one at a time out of the barn over to the cars and shot them. Once everyone was dead, the plan was to drive the car full of bodies down the highway to Kitchener, where the Hells Angels uh, were, and then dump the bodies outside of town. And the idea being that place to find the bodies and yeah. assume Hell's Angels killed them. Right. Okay. But things didn't go as planned. First, one of the bodies was so large that the trunk wouldn't close. <laughs> and, the, and the body nearly fell out of the car on the highway. Can you imagine driving behind that car? What is that? Oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then they realized that the ca- the same car was out of gas. <laughs> so they couldn't even get to Kitchener. So this is poorly planned. This is so, yeah. yeah. So they ditched the cars in a cornfield in Shedden, Ontario, not far from where where Wiener lives. <laughs> Did he make it that far? Like, no. On. The bodies were found the very next day, yeah. of course. Um, and Wiener and two of his cronies were arrested the day after that. Eventually, six of the seven men would uh, would be sent to prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lone biker, to escape either a death sentence or a prison sentence, made a deal with the Crown and testified against Wiener and the others. He then entered witness protection. Yeah, and is and somewhere else. Somewhere else, yeah. exactly. Okay, so the Shedda Massacre sounded the death knell for the Canadian banditos. Lacking any real influence in the crime world, still the banditos held on until 2008, when a bandito named Frank Lenti pled guilty to manslaughter. Um, for a shoot that took place a couple years uh, prior. Lenti had wanted to keep the banditos alive in Canada, but his incarceration was the last nail in the banditos' coffin. Hmm. All right. And that's the end hmm. of the Quebec Biker War and the fallout afterwards. Well, I can tell you that his legacy still lives on in our law. Okay. So uh, there was a... Bill C-95. Yes. <clears throat> and it basically, it was pretty controversial at its time. Actually, it still is somewhat controversial from what I can tell. Um, so it uh, added the definition of a criminal organization and criminal organization offense to the Criminal Code of Canada. Right, because um, before Bill C-95, there wasn't... There, yeah, there wasn't... You couldn't be charged with being... being affiliated with a group of people. Yeah. So, I mean, for, so the Charter of Rights and Freedoms defines that you can associate with whoever you want. Sure. And, and if so, they're criminals, that's your business. That, that's your business. That's none of, your, that's none of our, our business. So, um, it's just... So, basically, what it did is it defined a criminal organization and criminal organization offense of the code. It provided a murder committed with the use of explosives is a first degree murder, which had not been actually prior. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you could blow someone up, and it wouldn't. It could. It... it could be. It could be manslaughter. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, or second degree. So, yep. 
Yeah. So with a, if it is an association with a criminal organization. So if you had oh. just blown up someone prior and you had been a Hells Angels, it could have just been like second degree murder, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Like it's, it's a little bit weird. Um, but it was irrespective of whether it was planned and deliberate. So okay. like if you just blew someone up, regardless if you planned the person to die or if it yeah. just happened that they were walking by at the time when it exploded because you right. knew they were going to be in the general vicinity, yeah, then it could be charged as first degree murder. Okay. Instead, because- with the introduction of C ninety five. Yes. Okay. Um, the restriction the restrictions on interim judicial release. So like, <laughs> what does that mean? So basically, like. <laughs> People can't, as far as I understand it, I'm not a lawyer, that that you can't get um, released from uh, confinement. Prison? Well, confi- you're not necessarily in prison at that time until you've been charged, right? Jail? So you can't get released from jail. Okay. Um, or with a bond or with bail mm-hmm. if you're in association with a criminal organization. Oh, okay. Right? So because otherwise you just might fucking disappear or die. <laughs> and a and a longer waiting period before uh, parole el- um, el- eligibility. Eli- eligibility. Now you're making me say so- eligibility. Thank you. <laughs> the bill also. This is also a reason why we're not lawyers. Uh, <laughs> I talk real good. Yeah, and also you had to forfeit property um, that was used to commit an offense li- linked to a criminal organization. So if you actually owned a house that was known as a biker gang house and it was right. linked to that and it was used in a crime, you had to forfeit that property, like, which was never... Or if like if the crime was planned inside in the house. the house? Yes. Okay. You could, you could or the forfeit club, it. Well, I guess like the clubhouses then. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and this is as I understand it. Okay. So, um, and then after that, actually, uh, Bill C-24 was then kind of um, put upon to added to 95 make it more robust okay essentially so uh c24 was pretty intense and that was so bill c95 was 97 and bill c24 was october 2000 um so it had 18 recommendations for legislative measures uh to combat organized crime um obviously this was because like in 97 bill c95 wasn't uh like it's extensive extensive enough okay right and people actually had a lot of problems with c95 anyway just because criminal organizations and then were then defined as five people like five five pe- five people could be t- defined as a gang okay um, but, but not four but not four yeah to the count of five, five. yes <laughs> not one not two not four yeah. these are from different sources though so i'm Again, like there, there's a whole bunch of stuff like about what I found in my research, and it's been kind of cobbled together a little bit. So, okay. So as far as I understand, it's five people were defined as a, a gang and affiliated with a criminal organization. Okay. So five. So you got to have five people for a gang. Yes. Gotcha. So how many people can you hang out with? <laughs> Four. Four. <laughs> Four. <laughs> so. In 2000, I don't have many friends, so it's okay. In 2000, and I'm just wondering if this is also because of like all these people dying that they were still patch members technically, so they didn't like of certain chapters. So if well, they, if you're patched in, you're like you're a member. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying that if you're hanging out with three people and you have a different name for your gang, and then you're kind of like a an affiliate of the, another gang. Right? Like, because... Like a puppet club. Yeah, kind of like different family trees, right? Like, like, you, like I have a gang, and we're... So I've got a gang, and then you're my puppet club. 
but you only have three three people yeah then it's just then it's not the same you're right? not a criminal organization or enterprise yeah exactly so that's why i'm kind of wondering if that's why they. but you're associated with me i don't know i'm getting too far i'm getting too deep i don't know it. and this is and this is why <laughs> it's pretty intense anyway so um in response to recommendations in 2000 um essentially there's there's a whole bunch of Wait, I'm just getting lost in my reading here. Um, <laughs> so Bill C-24 replaced the definition of gang and the French version of the definition of organisation criminelle and revised the definition of criminal organization in English version. In particular, the definition no longer contained the requirement that the criminal activities were to have uh, occurred in the previous five years. So there was like an actual... So there's a statute of limitations. Sta- yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so for the group to be considered a criminal organization. Okay. So you had to be doing everything within five years to be considered an organized. Gotcha. Yeah, biker gang. So, and it reduced it from, uh, to three from five. Uh, and the, mem- sorry, and it reduced the, fr- <sighs> it reduced to three from five, the minimum number of people connected with a group. Okay. So, so a gang is now three. So now you're, you and your two friends. <laughs> are a gang. Are a gang. Yeah. <laughs> Including people outside Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that's also why when they associated with the groups in the States, the banditos. Yeah. That they want to be able to associate these people. Because also you have to remember that in the criminal justice, you have to prove that these people were part of this gang. So if they could prove that like beyond a reasonable doubt that these people were part of a gang. Right. They could be part of 10 people. But if they couldn't prove that 10 people, but they could prove that three people indefinitely were part, part of this gang. group, yeah. then they could charge them. Gotcha. So it's a difference between charging someone with kind of knowing versus having proof that they were. Right. And I think that's why they I changed it. I think the colors are a good indication. If you're walking around with a jacket that says Hell's Angels Quebec 1%er MC on it, there's a good chance that you're part of a gang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So in Bill Bill C-95, they had um, an offense was punishable by a maximum term of imprisonment of 14 years if they participated uh, with a gang or a group in this regard. Oh, so just okay. Yeah. C-24 essentially divided the offense into two different parts. Um, Participation in the activities of a criminal organization um, was punishable by a maximum term of imprisonment of five years. Oh, okay. And then um, if the commission of an indictable offense for the benefit of a criminal organization uh, was that was been proven to be 14 years. So it basically was like you could have five for being associated and 14 with it. But in what do they add up, though? Well, I don't know. If it, it, it doesn't say if it's congruent or contiguous like or um, congruent or contiguous. <laughs> oh, my God. These <laughs> concurrent or consecutive? Thank you. I went over that. How's in the your math? Right now, and I'll, I went over that in the last podcast. Leave me alone. Um, this one, this has been a really complicated. Yeah. Like this legally, like being not a lawyer, this was really complicated. Well, because there was really no law um, to deal with criminal organizations in Canada. No. Before they introduced C95, which came out of the Quebec Biker War. Yeah. And so C24 included provisions for combating uh, organized crime that C95 didn't. Okay. But the the problem was is that in the Charter of Rights of Freedoms, it always said that you can associate with whoever you want. Yeah. So this is why it was really controversial because human rights lawyers and people who are going after, you know, the 
just the general freedom of, of association. Yeah. Um, they had major problems with this bill, and reasonably so, well, if you look at it from that, that perspective. Like, if I'm hanging out with criminals, but I'm not a criminal myself, I shouldn't be punished for that. Well, exactly. And also you have to wonder if there are going to be false like, accusations. Maybe I'm people... making some bad life choices, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. But... You might not be hanging, but <laughs> should you be charged for that if you weren't necessarily... I wasn't Like, say you walked in into uh, a biker gang house, but you weren't necessarily a criminal because... You know, like you just were buddies with a guy who was someone who was yeah. a criminal. Then you could be charged potentially. Yes. So because you were associating with those people right. and then it could be proven that and you nobody's going to believe that I yeah. don't know what they're up to. Exactly. So and also being that, you know, you have to be friends with two other people. If two of your buddies that you grew up with all of a sudden get sucked into a gang and you don't. Yeah. And you're just caught with them. What yeah. happens then? Right. Yeah. So so it, there were, there is a reasonable controversy. Yeah. With this bill. So. Yeah, and so that's how it came. And I'm very sorry for being completely inarticulate in this one. This was a tough one to kind of <laughs> wrap your go. head around. Yeah, there's lots of like subtleties in it. So yeah, yeah, it was it was hard. It was a hard one, but still, they're they're still there. C24 and C95. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's just, yeah. So there you go. Don't be friends with douches. <laughs> Criminal douches. Criminal douches. I mean, you shouldn't be friends with douches. Or if you've just anyway, if, technically, actually, if you just have, if you have a. If a lawyer really wants to nail you and you have two friends and they're like, we're part of this gang, like, it's like oh, we're part of the up. fun gang. Yeah. And then you get like caught <laughs> dealing. The fun gang. Yeah. You, but but it, it could be like, <laughs> just saying, like, it doesn't matter what you're called. Right. Right. So I'm just saying, like, just be a little more careful about what you're doing when you're associating with, with two or more people. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Um, so do you have a weird law? I do. For us. Okay. On a completely different note. Let's hear about it. All right. So I found this again. Uh, Reader's Digest has a lot of random shit. And same as McLean's I found. So anyway. Um, Rachel, when you're when you're paying for something. Yeah. Have you ever been with someone who's like paying with a lot of change? You're like, oh, I just need to get rid of change. I, I do that. Right. Um, how many numbers of coins can you use in a transaction? As many as I want, because it's legal tender. No, you can't. <laughs> There's a maximum amount of and coins I can use. According, to, according to Canada's Currency Act of 1985, there are limits to the number of coins you can actually use to pay for something. Okay. Yeah. So whenever you, you like me. thought about paying with all those, like, like well, obviously we don't have pennies anymore, but like you just dump a whole bunch of nickels. Sure. <laughs> can't do that anymore. No can do, Damn my it. friend. Okay, what are the limits? Um, if you have a whole bunch of nickels, what do you think is the dollar amount that you can pay for something? In nickels? Yeah, in nickels. <laughs> a lot in nickels. Um, two dollars worth of nickels. No, that's, that's actually okay. You can. You oh, can I can still, that. I can yeah, pay two dollars. Okay. How about five dollars worth of nickels? That's the limit, my friend. Really? That's the limit. That's yeah. heavy. Yeah. To walk around with that many yeah. nickels and, in your pocket. And I can tell you like, uh, what's the, what's the loony limit? Ah, shit. Well, you can get them in you get them in rolls of fifty. Sorry, twenty five, because you get twenty five toonies in a roll, and that's fifty bucks. I don't know. A uh, hundred. A hundred bucks in loonies? Yeah. Jesus, are you carrying around like a big bag with a dollar something? Maybe like, I am. Around? <laughs> no, my friend. That's, what? That is not it. How? What's the limit on loonies? Twenty five bucks. Really? Yeah. So a roll. Yeah. One roll. Roll, roll loony. Shit. I know. So just so you know. <laughs> Okay. Don't the, 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 the title of this My is coin don't, sacks. Yeah. So 
It won't make you a lawbreaker, but it is actually part of Canada's Currency Act of 1985. Well, shit. Mm -hmm. A a vendor can actually reject you for paying with too much change. Wow. Like you can, you can sit there and say, you know, this is good money. This is my money. But they'll be like, actually, according to. According to. 1985. (laughs) The Currency Act of 1985. In which case there wasn't even loonies then. No, I guess there weren't. No. So I would have had to I guess been updated. it's been amended. <laughs> I wonder so how many toonies then? Maybe twenty five toonies is the limit. Well I don't know. I guess it's, it's like 25. a roll. Like yeah, a roll, roll, I would yeah. think. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. All right, good to know. I will take my change to the coin star and just mm-hmm. convert it to cash. <laughs> exactly. Or just not buy as much. Or not. Just buy a dollar's worth or whatever. <laughs> Then how am I going to get rid of my nickels and dimes? By buying lots of small things in different shops. (laughs) Spread it around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Go to a whole bunch of dollar stores. (laughs) That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Um, In weird crime news, there was a theft in Quebec. Of (laughs) being on our theme. Yeah, back on topic. 20,000 cases of beer. Wow, that's a lot of beer. It's a lot of beer. It's like $40,000. maple syrup. Like, I don't know, get stolen. I don't know. Like, did they just... Was that also, part of their strategic beer reserve? Also beef jerky. Oh, yum. And I think pepperoni. So, wow. <laughs> so there you go. Someone's having just a They don't know who did it? They just... Um, when was this? This... I actually don't have a date. I wasn't... It wasn't super long ago. It's relatively recent. Um, but... The beer is being is trying to be redistributed, redistributed. Mm-hmm. So I think like merchants were saying that I guess they're being approached by people looking to sell their beer, sell their to beer, offload it. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Or have one really big party. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that'd be a killer party. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't know if there are like beer fences around <laughs> where you can well, unload your beer. <laughs> I know at some point we're going to cover the maple syrup we'll get, thing, yeah, we'll, but we'll I have to it. say there there were maple syrup there fences, fences, so maybe there are beer fences. Yeah, yeah. you don't know. And <laughs> Quebec has like really strict laws for certain agricultural products, so I don't know if beer is one of them, but it might be. I don't know. Yeah, because I don't know if it was like the picture in the story was Grolsch, which yeah, is you don't know if that's a Quebec whole... beer. So maybe that was just a stock photo. I don't know, like what that's a lot of beer though. that's a lot of beer Twenty thousand cases and that's gonna go that's gonna get skunky yeah so if you don't yeah it's yeah. not like maple syrup that doesn't, doesn't have an end yeah no that. beer doesn't keep forever so hmm. yeah there you go gotta go to quebec suddenly <laughs> <laughs> pardon me i hope they didn't do it with two or more people because they could just be with gang. i know that is a criminal enterprise i know <laughs> So I guess that about does it for this episode of True North Crime. And as much as I did my research, I'm going to, I will say that if anybody has any problems with my understanding of this law, I am completely understanding that I I could totally be wrong on this one. It was not an easy one to deal with. (laughs) To wrap your head around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a whole bunch, you sent me a whole bunch of links, but then I did. did a whole bunch of research on my own. And it's not, like it wasn't overly clear. And how yeah. the law is interpreted. And I think that it's actually done like that on purpose. <laughs> that might be part of the problem. And exactly. Yeah. And I think it's done like that on purpose because we live, there's that kind of common law aspect of things in the right. federal court. So 
It might be like that so the judge can interpret depending on the each crime and sure. case, yeah, right? Yeah, probably. So I, I don't know. Like, And I wasn't going to go into each fucking case law. That's for goddamn sure. So I apologize, listener. <laughs> I tried to tackle it, but I have to say, right. like... But if, I, if you're better educated on this than we are, yeah. send us an email. Write to us at truenorthcrimepod at gmail.com and, and I, tell us what we got wrong. And I can also say that when you're going through these these legal documents mm-hmm. you read a lot of these words but you n- have never said them out loud before <laughs> so yes. i'm gonna i'm gonna apologize for my if with you mispronounced anything my idiocy stumbling over oh just sounding like five a syllable words fucking moron half the time <laughs> so because it's difficult because when you don't say these words out loud yeah. but you just read them constantly you know what they mean but you're just like, like yeah no yeah. i get it yeah i was at a conference and this guy delivered this paper, amazing paper, but he mispronounced thalidomide because he only yeah, ever read the read word. It. So he kept saying thalidomide. Oh, right. right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So it's just, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Especially when it comes to legalese and just generally. If you're, I know. We I need know. a Google Translate for legalese. I know. <laughs> this is, oh, we need, or we need to just get law degrees or. Or, well, nah. Yeah. I have enough degrees. I don't need another one. Well, I have a lot of almost degrees. <laughs> and you don't need another one of those. I don't need another so almost degree. <laughs> it's a waste of money. <laughs> so um, visit us uh, on the web, truenorthcrime.ca. Yeah. Rachel um, will put up some, uh, as I said, there will be stuff, stuff, stuff and things, documents there to help you make sense of who's who in the Quebec biker war. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Well, thanks for this week. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us. So we hope you stay with us in the future. Yes. Don't pay with too much change. Don't pay with too much change. (laughs) Stay safe. Exactly. Have a good one. Bye.